Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. From KUNC and the NPR Network, this is In the NOCO, a daily slice of Northern Colorado news and happenings. It's Wednesday, December 27th. I'm Erin O'Toole. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences recently announced Oscar shortlists in 10 categories, and Barbie is dominating. Moviegoers in Northern Colorado helped fuel the Barbie movie phenomenon this year, infusing mom-and-pop theaters with massive revenue from ticket sales. Feminist scholar Karen Vosby Anderson was astounded when the movie was released. The Colorado State University professor says she expected something light and commercialized. Instead, it was subversive, a film about feminism disguised with frills and lots and lots of pink. The fact that they managed to package a, a legitimately feminist argument into a billion-dollar summer blockbuster is just astonishing. I was really impressed. Today, we're listening back to our conversation with Anderson about why this film resonated so deeply with Coloradans and audiences everywhere. So obviously, Barbie was an enormously popular film. It has grossed more than a billion dollars worldwide. But upon its release, there was some pushback. In fact, you wrote an article about a specific phrase that's been popping up in some of those places, toxic femininity. Normally, I would ask to start by defining a term like that, but what's really interesting is you say there kind of isn't an agreed-upon definition. There's not, right. Um, Toxic femininity uh, has been circulating in academic and popular discourse for a while, and what's really confusing about it is that it, it is used in very different ways by very different people who have very different orientations towards women and feminism. Yeah, and maybe we should back up and briefly define toxic masculinity, um, because this is kind of the inverse of toxic femininity, at least for some. And that term, toxic masculinity, has been around for a while, and we do all sort of agree on what that means, right? We do. So um, both in sort of popular conversation and academic discourse, toxic masculinity is a phrase that's used to describe the sort of worst aspects of stereotypical masculinity, uh, including violence, dominance, emotional illiteracy, sexual uh, entitlement, hostility to femininity, right? Sort of all of the worst uh, stereotypes of masculinity. Uh, the, the term first appeared in the 1980s, but it's sort of been repopularized recently uh, and used in discussions of everything from mass shootings to um, Donald Trump's behavior. So so we've got sort of this stereotypical toxic masculinity. And the reason I think that it became so widely used, toxic masculinity, is because it's sort of the, the worst aspects of the dominant form of masculinity, sort of stereotypical masculinity. And it's a masculinity that many boys and men are still socialized into or pressured to be like. And it's really, really important to say that when we talk about toxic masculinity, we don't mean that all masculinity is toxic, and we certainly don't mean that all men are toxic, right? That's not what it's about. Instead, it's about a standard 
that men are encouraged to live up to in many ways in our society that's bad for them. Okay. And then what does toxic femininity mean relative to that? So we've heard that phrase. It it sort of reappears when there are um, high-profile women in pop culture. So, for example, um, at the beginning of the summer, I don't know how many of you watch Succession, but there is a character in Succession um, who's like the daughter of the rich protagonist, and um, she's kind of manipulative, and and you know people were having discussions about her character because the series was so popular and they were like, well, that's an example of toxic femininity. And then when Barbie came around, you know, people who wanted to be opposed to Barbie because it was popular amongst feminists said, well, it must be toxic femininity. So it's kind of this label that's used to describe anything that's bad about a woman or about femininity. That's sort of how popular pundits use it. Now, what's interesting is that It actually emerged in academic discussion before popular pundits started to use it to describe sort of any negative kind of femininity. Um, Psychologists first started using the phrase toxic femininity to talk about sort of the ways that traditional femininity encourages women to put their needs last um, and maybe even accept Um, harmful or abusive uh, relationship dynamics. So a really sort of submissive, meek, self-sacrificing, but not in a sort of constructive way, in a really personally destructive way. People said, so so psychologists said that's toxic femininity. And then a a third way that people have defined this term is um, organizational psychologists who look at gender dynamics at work said, well, you ha- there's a certain sort of woman at work who is very aggressive, very assertive, puts her own needs first, um, again, is manipulative. That's toxic femininity in the workplace. So what we have there is three really different uh, uses of the same term. And that's why it's confusing, because they mean totally different things. Right. Okay, so not only do we have these wildly different definitions for the term toxic femininity, it feels like some people are, first of all, either using it to get attention or clicks, but also that they're using the phrase to shut down these conversations that are surfacing, perhaps because of the film, conversations about the patriarchy, or for example, or challenging gender norms and stereotypes. But a lot of us want to have these conversations and have them be productive. How do we do that in this kind of environment? Well, that's one thing that I really loved about the Barbie movie in particular is how after watching it, people wanted to talk about it. People wanted to have conversations. Um, Now, this isn't the true, um, true in every case, but in some of the media that I researched while writing my piece for the conversation, some of the pundits were attaching toxic femininity to the Barbie movie before it even came out. Um, I wrote about a Fox News panel that, and they were reacting to early reviews of Barbie, but nobody in in the panel had seen the movie because it hadn't come out yet. (laughs) So, um, And one thing that I think is super interesting is if you actually go and watch the Barbie movie, um, you know, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, but Barbie land, which which is a matriarchy, isn't actually 
presented as a feminist utopia. That's not actually the goal. Um, the patriarchy and the matriarchy are presented as problematic um, in different ways. And so the Barbie movie, I think, um, is really cognizant of the dangers of this sort of gendered supremacy and saying, hey, we need to think about how we can promote equality, yes, uh, allow individuals to flourish as as they are, but not stuff people into these very rigid gender binaries or gendered categories. Right. So, hey, Barbies can have any career they want, and Kens, you can do anything too. You don't only have to have the job of beach. <laughs> That's right. So much more than <laughs> beach for Ken. <laughs> exactly. Well, Karen Anderson, this has been so great. Thank you for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. And that's it for us today here on In the NoCo. We'll be back tomorrow with more of our favorite episodes from this past year. Robin Vincent is our executive producer. I'm your host, Erin O'Toole. We'll talk soon.